Hey there, listeners. This is your host, Nick St. Fleur. Today on our bonus content of Color Code, Rachel Hardiman talks to us about reproductive health from an equity perspective. A professor at the University of Minnesota's School of Public Health, Dr. Hardiman touches on health policy, the troubled history of gynecology, and her own experience as a black mother. Let's start off with a bit of the, the, the lay of the land here. For people who, you know, this might be their first time hearing that there is a black maternal mortality crisis. What, what is that crisis and, and what, what is the extent of it? How, how bad is it? Sure. So I think it's important to start off by first just talking about maternal mortality without layering on race and ethnicity, because one of the things that people don't know is that within the the United States is the only industrialized nation that actually has a rising maternal mortality rate. And when we talk about maternal mortality, um, I'm referring to a death um, of a woman who um, who's pregnant or within um, that year after pregnancy. And how did we kind of get here? What, what do we think is the history behind this? So that is an excellent question um, and one that I think we could spend a lot of time talking about. One example that I, I think is important to understand is um, historically black, um, black enslaved women, their bodies were used, right, for hit for research and for um, to to perfect techniques. So James Marion Sims, who was known as the quote unquote father of modern gynecology, right? He used black enslaved women to test his surgical techniques. And he did this based on this uh, premise or this racist idea that um, black people don't feel um, pain, right? They don't have as much, or they have a higher pain tolerance than white people. Um, So taken in combination with being enslaved folks, Right. They there was this um, he he used that to justify um, poor treatment, maltreatment um, of black bodies. And so we see examples like that throughout our history. I mean, there's there's tons of them right where um, black bodies and black people have been mistreated. So to help our kind of listeners here understand, you know, where I guess the role that 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 race and ethnicity plays in in in, in this crisis can you help us better understand kind of the, the I guess, the process of a, a, you know, a birthing person finding out from they're pregnant to giving birth to then, you know, the postpartum period and help us better understand what are the kind of milestones there where something can happen? Yeah, that's such a great question because and I think we heard we've heard many stories. So a lot of my work sits in the space of um reproductive health and policing. And so we've heard many stories from black birthing people who have had incidents where they've been pulled over while pregnant or had this exposure to the um, to police while pregnant and that that has um, caused stress in their lives. And um, we actually have a study that shows that for black birthing people who live in communities where there's higher rates of police presence, they're at greater risk for preterm birth. Um, you know, so um, there's this stress pathway that is contributing um, uh, to these adverse outcomes. While um, black folks make up 13% of the population in the United States, they only make up about four, um, four to 5% of the physician population. And then we, we've collected a lot of data from folks who say, you know, once they've accessed the healthcare system, that they're not feeling heard or respected. 
And then we look at the postpartum period where, you know, we know that with Black maternal mortality in particular, um, the six weeks postpartum are incredibly important. But we have a healthcare system that doesn't actually do a lot of follow-up in that, those six weeks, right? So if you have a quote-unquote normal vaginal delivery, you're not going to see a provider again until you're, until you're six weeks postpartum. And then that's it. You had just said how that, you know, especially those six weeks are just, are just so important. Could you tell us a bit more about why that period is, is so important and why folks may not recognize that importance? Yeah, so... I mean, I can speak to my own, you know, giving birth. Um, I came home from the hospital exhausted and, um, you know, I'm you know, dealing with family and people who are excited about this new new life. And what we often see is that the focus is on the ba- the brand new baby. Right. And we're not actually focusing on the health and well-being of the mom. Um, I was lucky enough to have um, my daughter's pediatrician, you know, at those, you know, those well child checks in those first week or so postpartum ask me, you know, about my my moods and stress and things like that and check in on me. But that's not actually the norm. Um, and so I think a lot of stuff from a mental health perspective certainly gets swept under the rug. But also um, we're sending birthing people home not unaware of um, p- potential complications postpartum, right? And it's not that you want to scare folks, but you also want to make sure that they're well-educated and know what to look for. So um, one story I always... Um, find really remarkable um, in my research uh, partnership with a community birth center here in the Twin Cities, Roots Community Birth Center, um, run and led by Black midwives. And in that postpartum period, they do about three or four home visits. So after a family is discharged from the birth center, um, the next day the midwives are at their door and in their home checking on them, making sure, you know, breastfeeding is going well. And, and that continues um, throughout that the, the first three to six weeks postpartum. And in one of those instances, one of the midwives was uh, noticed, was in, in a birthing person's home, you know, she, I think maybe three, four days out from giving birth. And um, mama handed, you know, handed the midwife the baby and she got up to go to the kitchen to get a glass of water. And the midwife noticed that she was limping and and, you know, just, you know, as she came back from the kitchen, just said, have you always, you know, limped like that? Or is there something, you know, something bothering you? And long story short, what you know, what they discovered was that she had um, a blood clot in her leg Right. And they were able to get her to the hospital before that turned into a pulmonary embolism, which is what, you know, Serena Williams was at risk of experiencing um, and can be um, deadly. Right. And so, you know, because she was in the home and because she was looking around, sort of thinking about this whole, you know, thinking about holistically what was happening in this space with this family, um, she was able to catch something that could have been um, very um, severe. Oh wow! No, that's 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 super interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us, Rachel. Um, so one one area I wanted to jump back on is just you know this postpartum period, and you know, you know when it comes to kind of checking in with 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 the 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 mother, is it? I know you had said like six weeks. I know some people also consider like a full year. Is there what what what's the length of time that we should be thinking when we think of that postpartum period? 
So I personally, and I think what our research is pointing to is that it should be a year. We should really be thinking about the postpartum period as a full year. And we've seen that in policy shifts, right? So um, we're now in discussions where uh, we are expanding uh, Medicaid coverage for birthing people who um, who are on Medicaid and give birth. Typically, they only have 60 days of coverage postpartum, which seems ridiculous. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but um, that you just drop someone off of insurance, you know, you don't get any more access to healthcare after, you know, 60 days after you give birth. Um, but now there um, is legislation uh, proposing that we expand that to one year, right? So that um, people have coverage for that year postpartum in other industrialized countries with much lower or non-existent maternal mortality. They often have universal health care access, and they also often have um, pretty um, generous um, paid leave so that families can um, take that time away at, and, and focus on um, their health and well-being and that of their, their new family. Anytime I write about maternal mortality, especially, you know, Black maternal mortality, I always have to either show or the comments or people will always say, that's not racism, or how do you know that's racism, or what role is racism playing this? So my question to you is, how do you definitively explain to people the role that racism has in the Black maternal mortality crisis? That's a great question. Um, one is through numbers and, you know, sheer, looking at the data, right? So it's not a coincidence that Black people and that Indigenous people um, have the highest rates of um, maternal death or maternal mortality or the highest rates of, um, you know, adverse outcomes generally. Like we can look at plenty of outcomes across the, you know, across the spectrum. Um, I also think um, the role of maternal mortality review committees is incredibly important. And so maternal mortality review committees, um, each state has one for the most part. And it's a group of people who are tasked with re reviewing every maternal death in the state. And part of what we've done and some of the work I've led in the maternal mortality review committees across the country is really to define, add definitions of racism that committees can use. To, um, and because part of what we do in that review is say, it was racism a contributing factor? And if so, what kind of, was it interpersonal racism? Meaning was it implicit bias or a microaggression or something like that that could have happened when they were encountering the healthcare system? Is it structural? You know, are we looking at um, issues around um, incarceration or crime? You know, so there's all sorts of different, um, but I think it's gonna have a powerful impact on, um, on understanding the role that racism plays as a risk factor for maternal mortality. Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure you left our, our listeners with that we didn't touch upon? Any any kind of closing messages or 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 or, or points of of, of hope? <laughs> I think there's a lot of policy solutions on the table right now. So the Momnibus Act is an incredible and comprehensive um, slate of options and um, legislation that I think can have a really significant impact on these issues. But I also think at the state level and within our own sort of communities, there's a lot of work happening that, that needs to be elevated and supported. And so I think that, you know, it's... There's a lot of opportunities to um, sort of elevate that, that work and to really think about how do we pour more resources into it.
Thank you for listening to our bonus episode and for being part of our Color Code community. Our team here at STAT is Alyssa Ambrose, Hyacinth Empinado, Teresa Gaffney, Crystal Milner, and me, Nick St. Fleur. Kevin Seaman is our engineer, and our theme music is by Brian Joel. This episode was edited by our amazing intern, Tino Della Merced. Thanks to the Commonwealth Fund for supporting this podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you have any thoughts for us, you can reach us at colorcode at statnews.com.